0: My name's Adrian Goldberg, and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times is what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report, and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, Saudi sports washing one, human rights nil. We're reflecting on Newcastle United's hopes of winning their first major domestic trophy in 68 years when they play Manchester United in the Carabao Cup final. The Geordies, or the Toon as they are known to their fans, have had a dramatic upturn in their fortunes since being bought by the Saudi Public Investment Fund in October 2021. The takeover was controversial because the chair of the PIF is Saudi's de facto ruler, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, MBS. But the Premier League accepted legally binding assurances that the state would not control the club. Not everyone is convinced, though, and Amnesty International have accused Saudi Arabia of using Newcastle to sportswash their dismal human rights record citing the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, as well as censorship, unfair trials and travel bans on activists. Then there's the death sentence. The day before the match between Newcastle and Chelsea last March, 81 people were executed, including men who were children at the time of their offences. On Tyneside, the Saudis have generally been warmly welcomed for what they've done for the club, but not everyone is impressed. Lifelong Newcastle fan John Hurd of No Saudi Tune has delivered a letter to the club asking manager Eddie Howe to speak up for the brother of an activist who faces the threat of execution in Saudi Arabia. John has been telling me about his campaign.
1: Our campaign's been going on for over a, over a year, well probably 18 months now and uh, we started off a small number of people, got a social media Profile, but as it's gone on, time's gone, we've got more people to support the campaign. And during the campaigning, we were contacted by a group of Saudi human rights activists called the uh, European Human Rights Organization for Saudi Human Rights in Germany. They said they supported what we're doing, they liked what we're doing. So we've collaborated with them, they've been giving us information, and we attended a human rights conference. That they held, and uh, they actually advised us about the the protests we did at St James's Park when uh, when we played Chelsea. They basically, children who were uh, young Saudis who were arrested when they were kids, who the regime played cat and mouse with them, re-arrested them, let them out, persecuted their families, and now they're on death row. You know, and it's actually internationally, even Saudi Arabia says they don't execute children, but in effect, they do. You know, so they're, they're actually on death row at the moment. So. They told us that, uh, you know, obviously uh, football is very popular in Saudi Arabia. It's interesting that the sports washing is not just like for outside. It's also, you know, internal. MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, likes to let people know that he's got a football club. You know, it's completely different, the uh, narrative inside Saudi Arabia. The regime says it's their club, you know, and they'll do what they want with it, you know. But uh, obviously it's for internal consumption uh, as well. So... The human rights, Saudi Human Rights Organization told us that there was a young guy called uh Hassan who's like escaped because his family escaped from Saudi Arabia. He's from the Shia minority and he from the sort of eastern province. And he escaped cause his brothers and you know his family were being persecuted and he knew that he was going to be arrested. So he was like travelling around. Anyway, he got to was in Marrakesh and he was um, he was uh, arrested. And even though there was a lot of pressure put on the Moroccan government not to do it, including Amnesty and other you know, human rights groups, Reprieve as well, tried to like uh, stop him being sent back to Saudi Arabia. Well, he did. He was sent back. And anyway, his brother, Amit, got in touch and wrote a letter. And the letter is a really powerful, powerful letter. And he puts everything in context and on the table basically what he says is um okay you know we we know you anyhow and the players we know that you don't support human rights abuses or my brother being executed he says but what are you going to do about it what are you going to say because uh, you know it, you can see from the letter that obviously the young saudis follow football very closely you know and i think that point is very very powerful he says look in the letter, he says, if you don't say something now, especially Newcastle, going to be in the final, all eyes will be on Newcastle in, you know, the, in the Carabao Cup final, the League Cup final. He says, now's the time to say something. And he ends the letter by saying, if not now, then when? You know, And uh, we thought, OK, we should deliver it to Eddie Howe. I don't think that Eddie Howe would sort of disagree with anything in the letter, you know? But the proof for the pudding is... Is he going to say something? You know, why can't he say something? That's the point that we're getting across. What's wrong with people like Alan Shearer, who actually said there were concerns when the takeover went through? He said there were concerns on the BBC. Why can't they speak up for these uh, young guys who are on death row? It's a simple question. You know, we are a minority voice, we know, but... Still optimistic that the majority of Newcastle fans are against the human rights abuses that the 80% owners of the club are carrying out in Saudi Arabia. OK, that's a given. Well, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to say something? Are we going to use our position? One of the things that we've taken up with the uh, fans groups and also the fanzines, you know, they're on record as saying before the takeover, the NUST said when they were interviewed, they said that they would exist to be critical friend to the new owners. The group called War Flags, which is brilliant displays every match, one of the people who works with them actually said, if we felt that Saudi women were being persecuted, we would consider doing a display, a flag display, with a Saudi woman in a Newcastle shirt. Okay, well, we come back to NUST and War Flags and say, well, 70 women are being persecuted. You know, Salma al Shabab, Nora al-Qahtani, 34, 45 years in prison for tweeting, which we do all the time, you know, and we, we take it for granted. But these women have been basically banged up for the rest of their lives in prison. It's terrible, terrible situation, just for very light criticism of the regime. Time's running out. You know, there's 61 executions pending. As a fan, you know, it's obviously we're pulled both ways. The team's in a final. They're playing Manchester United everybody will be looking at that. And the thing you pick up from other fans is, and I think it's legitimate what fans of other clubs are saying about this, what they're saying is, well, you know, if you win, is there any glory in winning with this money? You know, the United Castle have spent a lot of money and the money comes from Saudi Arabia. You know, it comes from the the dictatorship. I think the only way to avoid criticism if Castle win is if some key people say something before the cup final. Make it clear that they don't agree with what the owners are doing in Saudi Arabia. A lot of uh, fans just are totally pessimistic about what they can do. They're actually saying, well, what difference does it make? Eddie saying something won't make any difference. The word we get from... Ahmed, who wrote the letter on behalf of his brother, what we get from Saudi human rights activists is you have to speak up. He said, if someone like anyhow spoke spoke about Alan Shearer or even a player or, or some of the celebrity supporters, but, even you know, ordinary fans as well, you know, war Flags did something at the, at the final. If they did something, that would get back to MBS. They hate criticism. That's the whole point of sports washing. The whole point is to not think about and to look the other way as regards the gross human rights violations they're doing in in, uh, in Saudi Arabia. Honestly, we haven't had a satisfactory answer from anyone around the fanzines and around the, the, the fans groups Is why can't they say something? Say something now. What's the problem with saying something? And the argument has always been from the Saudi side that the public
0: investment fund, the PIF, that owns yeah. Newcastle United... Is yeah. separate from the yeah. government of Mohammed yeah. bin Salman (MBS).
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, do you think anyone really believes it anymore? You know, at the beginning, that was like a you know a big uh, argument that we had in a discussion. The Evening Chronicle, which is the northeast main paper, has played a terrible role. They've actually highlighted when Saudi dignitaries attend. They say, oh, such and such is there's There was a round of applause for such and such. And then you look at the names of these people, that are one of our guys in the campaign researched to the people are. Some of these people are, you know, famous torturers. You know, they're absolutely terrible people. We shouldn't be applauding them when they come to, to the ground. You know, they're linked with the regime. For example, the chair of, of 80% of the board of the owners is a governor of the PIF. He was handpicked by bin Salman. Perhaps people don't want to think about it, but, you know, how do things run in a, in a dictatorship? The dictators run things, you know, and the lead dictator is 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 MBS. It was set up, the PIF was set up by royal decree. It's still controlled by the royal family. Interestingly, True Faith, the sort of main Newcastle uh, uh, fanzine, you were arguing with us at the beginning. No, oh, no, it's separate. Blah blah blah. They published an article last week saying, you know, we're owned by the Saudi state. So there's like an acceptance now that it is the Saudi state, as we sort of predicted. You know, as time went on, people would just say, "Well, it is the it is the Saudi state." And obviously, this is not just a question for Newcastle. Now we've got you know Manchester United rumors about uh, Liverpool. We're in a, a stage now where, where basically you could you could get uh, Middle Eastern states having like a type of football arms race. Between themselves, we're getting a lot of support from fans of other clubs. It's not jealousy. It's not because people wish badly of the Newcastle Newcastle fans. it's because a lot of fans are waking up now of other clubs and thinking this is not what we want. You know, you probably saw the joint statement between MUST, the Manchester United fans group, and Spirit of Shankly, which is brilliant. You know, the rival, you know, big rivalry between the clubs, but they actually put on the table. We're not happy with states owning clubs. And the thing is, the Saudi state owns Newcastle United. It's it's clear. It's clear. And that was a massive mistake by the Premier League. And I think probably they're regretting it now. Because if, if a Saudi state can own it, well, Qatar can, can own, you know, any other state that wants to come in, you know. So I think that's going to be a big issue. Unfortunately for fellow Newcastle fans, we said right at the beginning, don't get too used to this money. Don't get used to it because things can change. You know, I think there's a head of steam now starting amongst, you know, grassroots fans organizations that they say we've had enough. We've had enough of like these uh, states coming in. And I think any state, I, I don't just mean the Saudi state, but especially because of their human rights abuses or, the you know, the Middle Eastern regimes who, you know, have got terrible record on, on human rights. But I wouldn't be against the United States owning the club. I'd be against China. I'd be against Iran. Any uh, state really hasn't any business all in a
0: football club. To pick up on that point, you've got owners of football clubs who may represent states like the Abu Dhabi royal family at Manchester City. Yeah,
1: they're very clever, aren't
0: they? And you may have individuals like Roman Abramovich, who was the owner of Chelsea for many years, who had links to Vladimir Putin, who, if anyone was in any doubt before we now know, is a a cruel fascist tyrant, really. So there have been plenty of disreputable people or people with, at the very least, highly questionable owning football clubs. But there's something about the Saudis that goes beyond that. Mohammed bin Salman himself was implicated, according to US state intelligence reports, in the state-sponsored killing of the journalist Shaman Khashoggi and is a state where the death penalty is used as a tool of repression to silence political opponents and others who the state doesn't like. This isn't just, you know, a little bit grubby. This is a, a state which were Britain not to an extent reliant on it economically that we would regard a suspect as a pariah state.
1: We don't think that One state's better than another. You know, as a principle, I don't think states should own clubs. But yeah, I agree with you, especially uh, states like Saudi Arabia. It's linked to our campaign, but we want to link up with other fan groups on this question of state ownership. That's going to be becoming more and more important. But what you said about the famous cases, you know, it's terrible, you know, what happened to Jamal uh, Khashoggi. But as we've got into this, you know, obviously it's opened our eyes, More and more to what the situation is in in Saudi Arabia. And you see, it's not just the famous cases, you know, say exactly what you said, Uh, the guys that we've talked to from the human rights organisation outside Saudi Arabia made up of Saudis, they say it's a way to terrorise the population. When they executed 81 people before the Chelsea game, you know that I thought that was quite significant. Basically, it's MBS saying we can do what we like, not not really caring about that. And that's, in that that instance about the the bad publicity, but when you go into the cases, you know sometimes we have like you know debates with people on on the uh, on uh, social media about it, and some fans come up. This is a worrying thing. Some of the fans come up and say, "Well, they're criminals," you know, uh, you know we should be uh, if we executed uh, rapists and murderers in Britain, perhaps it would be a better. A place and we say well you know you should try and find out who, who these people are you know a lot of them are young but a lot of them you know from the Shia minority they're arrested for things like demonstrating yeah going on a demonstration and then they're, they're labelled as terrorists. They're not terrorists. You know, we, we take for granted the rights, which, you know, governments try to take away in in uh, Britain and other European uh, states as well. But, you know, we take for granted the right we can go out on the street with a placard and and, um, and uh, protest or say things on, on Twitter. But these people are being uh, arrested and then put, you know, the, the, most of them are not, the the not for capital crimes. In fact, they're being executed. They haven't killed anyone, you know. They're, they they're, they're not like they're not murderers. They're not, uh, you know, uh, rapists, as a, as a sort of propaganda machine uh, says. They're probably just, you know, human rights activists, or ordinary people uh, uh, demonstrating. So, you know, that yeah, I agree totally with what you're saying. It's, it's, it's on another level. It's on another level. The uh, the uh, repression by the by the Saudi state, and the problem is, it's associated with our club. Now that's the pro- that, that's the problem, and as we you know we sort of predicted it, but they've, what they've managed to do is they've managed to get on board a, a layer of fans who will defend the the uh, the Saudi state, and that's un- unacceptable. The other thing is they've, they've uh, basically they've neutralized the majority of fans, and it's from. Basically, uh, you know, our analysis of it would be it's because basically people who should know better, you know, like the ones who run the fanzines and, you know, fans groups, but also like political representatives who've been very disappointing in the Northeast. We know some of them are actually season ticket holders and they're, they're Labour MPs it was, it was said previously they're on the left. And they've said nothing, absolutely nothing about it. And so you can see a lot of fans will say, well, why should we do anything? You know, if if the people who should be saying things aren't saying anything, well, well, you know, so basically they've managed to normalise it. And in a very, very small way, you know, we're not exaggerating our influence, but in a very, very small way, we think that we have to keep going and we have to keep reminded, you know, this weekend, uh, if you've seen the reaction, but um, it's got publicity, you know, we've got like, thousands you know like i think 50000 people saw one of the tweets about the uh, about the um about the letter daddy how it's been you know it's been covered in you know a lot in a lot a lot of places it's got people talking and some of the some of the fanzines uh people around the fanzine said it's terrible to do it just before the, the liverpool match you shouldn't drag eddie Howe into it and there's other, other people are say well you know is that your red line your red line is that um eddie howe has been asked a question which he's been legitimately asked a few times you know what one of the things that we you know we've brought out in the in this little uh this this weekend is Eddie Howe said uh, after the t- uh, when he when he when he became the the manager and he was asked quite legitimately about about the saudi situation he said he didn't have enough knowledge okay right but might have been true then he's he, again he, he, he said look i like to read the times i like to read the guardian um i'll uh, i'll read up on it okay 18 months later two visits to saudi arabia he's took the team twice does he not have the knowledge now? Has he not read up enough now to say something? All he needs to do is to say, "I personally am against the uh, gross human rights um, abuses, and I support uh, you know the, uh, the 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 right for people for freedom of speech. I support the right for women to criticize the regime, women to fight for their rights." Why would that be such a bad thing, you know? Because if, if he doesn't say anything, that means that the sports washing has won. If you silence people, if people think that they can't say anything about the situation in Saudi Arabia, they say, well, what's it got to do with it? Well, he's employed by the Saudi state. You know, it's their, it's their money. It's their money. We control 80% of the club, you know? So we think he should say something, you know? And I'm sorry if that upsets people, but, you know, he's the manager of a team which is owned by the Saudi state. That's the way it goes, you know.
0: John heard, and we have contacted all of the organisations that John mentioned in the course of that interview. None has responded. Newcastle United are far from unique, of course, in welcoming Saudi money. Football's world governing body FIFA recently announced that the World Club Cup will be played in the country later this year. Another regime with a dubious human rights record, Qatar, hosted the 2022 World Cup, of course. This, I suspect, is a story that will run and run. Thanks very much indeed for listening. My name is Adrian Goldberg, and if you do want to support our work on the Byline Times podcast, please think about taking out a subscription to the Byline Times, our wonderful monthly newspaper. You get details about how to subscribe at bylinetimes.com. That's at bylinetimes.com. We'll see you again very soon. Cheers now. Bye-bye.